Hey, what's going on? I'm Jeremy Lee, and you are listening to episode 16 of Reading the Play, the show where athletes, and in this case, media personalities, share their story and experiences about life and sports. Additionally, we'll break down some key decisions they made so you can get a better understanding of their journey and where they are today. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast so that you can hear other great stories by athletes. You can also find them on sportcalgary.ca to get the latest news, including new episodes on the way. Follow on Instagram at readingtheplay or myself at legacy. In this episode, we step into another perspective on sports as we enter the media world with TSN's Jermaine Franklin. Jermaine's been covering the Calgary sports scene since 2003 and has plenty of stories to go around. The Ontario native shares his journey through the industry, including his wild story on how he got started with TSN, some of his favorite sports events, and Jermaine also reveals some of his favorite athletes to interview and not-so-favorite interviews, including handling the enigmatic LeBron James. Well, it looks like Jay Frank's all warmed up on the hot seat. Let's get it. Jermaine Franklin paying a visit to Story Island today. It's been a pretty interesting year so far. Hey, Jermaine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it has been. Um, well, the Stampeders won the Grey Cup. Uh, the Flames are doing uh, really well to start the season. They disappointed by not making the playoffs at the, I guess, the beginning of 2018. But as we approach the end, everything is coming up pretty rosy for the city of Calgary when you think about sports, for the most part, anyways. Before we get into the sports side of things, you've been posting a lot of videos about your running. What's going on there? <laughs> yeah, that's right. So um, I just dis- decided to start running because uh, I did like going to the gym, but I didn't love it. And um, the big thing about going to the gym is I think it takes up a little bit too much time. Uh, well, by the time you get in the car, you drive to the gym, uh, you change, you go to the gym, you wait in line for certain certain uh, machines and uh, by the time you get home it's a good two hours that you take up before you even shower unless you shower at the gym anyways you get the picture it takes a while running um, as long as you got your shoes you got your clothes to go run in you can walk right out the door run for however long it takes I've been running for about uh, 45 minutes now 45 minutes to to an hour which is pretty long for me but when I get home I get home and that's it. There's no extra time taken and I don't need to lock a lock and worry about my stuff uh, as well. So that's why I started running. With all your training, how do you think you'd match up against the world's fastest cow? (laughs) I don't think I'd match up at all because I'm running the distance. But you know, in my younger days as a sprinter, it's... uh, I wouldn't match up. That guy is incredible. Have you you met him? I have not met him. I've I've briefly said hello to him as he passes me every sure. every uh, every game on the sidelines, um, pandering to the cl- crowd and and whooping it up after he embarrasses another oh. <laughs> fan that gives it a shot. But the world's fastest cow that would be um, something. I feel like he's developed a bit of a, a cult following in Calgary here. That's why I was trying to see if you had the inside scoop on him or whatever. But who is who is behind? The, the cow costume, really. Yeah, exactly. And and cows aren't known for their speed, but this guy for sure comes riding up in a Harley through the end zone. And he gives guys 10, 15-yard head starts, and it's just, 
he blows them away. If you can't run, it's there's no point. But I did see him lose before. Uh, he thought uh, he was going to embarrass Brian McGratton, and I think they gave Gratz like 15 yards, maybe even 20. And he was like, I don't need this head start. And they're like, no, no, you need it. And, uh, and he crushed him. So he crushed the cow, I should oh say. Goodness. It wasn't even close. I don't think McGratton would have beat him if they were at the same yard line, but maybe they should have just gave him five or ten yards to make it close. But he certainly crushed the cow then. So, Jermaine, you're originally from Ontario. Yeah, Stouffville. Anyone famous from Stouffville um, outside of Jermaine? Yeah, right. Uh, Keith Acton, uh, former NHL player. He played for the Canadians and Ed- Edmonton Oilers. He's won a couple of cups. Um, he would be Stouffville's claim to fame. Uh, when I was growing up there, anyways, I'd have to think if there was anyone else. You know who else uh, seems to be getting a lot of press, and not surprising, his name is Brandon Pridham, and he is the assistant GM of the Toronto Maple Leafs. So whenever you hear about the numbers being crunched, it's him um, that are that is crunching those numbers. And why do I know? Because Brandon and I played together on the same minor hockey team. When we were growing up, yes, Brandon Pridham, Jermaine Franklin, Stouffville Clippers. Don't forget it. And uh, and he's just a year uh, ahead of me. But uh, so every other year we'd play together in minor hockey. So and he was an excellent player, by the way. Well, and that's just it. I mean, you you probably had your sights set on the NHL as well. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, like every Canadian kid, thought uh, I had what it took to make it to the show, and then not quickly realized, but figured things out that uh, it wasn't going to happen. Uh, played a touch of uh, Junior A hockey with the Aurora Eagles. They were the Eagles at the time. And um, had a little trouble handling my my school responsibilities and practice time with this uh, Junior A team. Plus, I wasn't getting a ton of ice time, to be completely honest. So it was like, wow, barely passing school, not getting into any universities, and not playing very much. Better uh, make a decision. And um, ended up uh, lowering my hockey level to junior C because I couldn't let it go. But uh, with that being said, upped my grades just enough to make it into a few universities. And and here I am in, uh, working with TSN. Where did you decide on eventually for university? Um, went to the University of Windsor for their communications program. I guess I had a couple of options, uh, but I chose Windsor. I had uh, Ottawa U and um, what was the next university that I, uh, Brock, and um, also had a few colleges because I could have easily gone the college route like uh, Humber or Niagara, and I believe the uh, uh, third was in uh, Hamilton as well, but uh, chose university at the at the encouragement of my of my parents, and I certainly do not regret that decision. Thank them for uh, encouraging me to go the university route. That's where I met my wife, and that's where I I figured out how to uh, organize my time as well with uh, with assignments and everything. So um, couldn't have asked for a better experience. Yeah, pretty valuable, hey. Yeah, it's uh, it was incredible. It was incredible leaving home. Um, figuring out uh, what you, what I needed to do to make sure I got my stuff done, to make sure that I did not uh, uh, flunk out of school and uh, still have fun, had lots of fun with my friends, that's for sure. But I'm glad the responsibility gene finally kicked in a little bit late, but I'd say around grade 11 in high school <laughs> is when things started cl- clearing up for me and uh, clicking in. 
and uh, the University of Windsor was fantastic. How did you even decide on communications, though? I mean, you were obviously wanting to stay in sports, I'm assuming, but why that route? Um, because there was uh, there was an opportunity to um, focus my courses in broadcast journalism as well. Like those things were offered, so I made sure. Um, although with the university, there are a lot of prerequisites and and um, a lot of classes that I had to do um, lots of papers in, like Com One Hundred One and and so forth. I still had the option to take uh, take radio, take uh, broadcast journalism, take journalism. Actually, uh, that was that was a big focus with a few of my uh, course load with my course load. So I think the fact that uh, it was communications, um, I had a, a broad spectrum of all different uh, types of communications. So I could have gone into marketing. I could have gone into uh, to promotions. Uh, I knew what I wanted to do from the beginning, but to have um, all those different uh, experiences and to know what I liked and what I didn't like, I think that helped a lot as well. When did you decide that you liked to be on the other side of the camera? Yeah, I, uh, I knew right away that I, I wanted to be in front of the camera. The, the more that I think about it, I, I believe that I'd be pretty good behind the camera as well. And I just focused on, on uh, being the guy in front of it. But I knew that's what I, I thought of. Like if you look at my high school yearbook as a senior, like I said, that I was going to be working for TSN on sports, on sports desk. Like it was not sports center then it was sports, sports desk. desk. So I guess right. I'm, I'm aging myself a little bit, but right there in the caption, I will be on sports desk. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I didn't know exactly how that dream was going to come true. Um, and it, it, it has come true in a sense, in a sense it hasn't yet because I'm not an anchor, on Sports Center now, but I, uh, but uh, I definitely got the job with TSN, and and you see me on Sports Center every once in a while doing the the Calgary reports. That's right. So I went through a broadcast program here in Calgary as well, and one of the things they told us was that you would have to start out at a small town in the middle of nowhere, Saskatchewan or BC. In your case, maybe Ontario. Uh, so what did that initial jump into? the field look like for you? Well, it was funny. Um, I was told the same thing and I was, uh, fully ready to move to any small town that I could just to get the experience, but I never, never really had that opportunity. Um, all my opportunities, um, uh, came in the big city, uh, which I am, I'm grateful for because when I say big city, I mean, Toronto, uh, because well, the center of the universe, right? Yeah, yeah. Just ask them. Right. But, um, uh, basically, I did all my volunteer work at uh, Rogers Television. Like I said, I'm from a small town called Stouffville, uh, but uh, the closest uh, local um, cable network was in Newmarket, which is north of Stouffville. So that's about a 30-minute drive, and uh, I'd go out there and, and do whatever they needed me to do, report on um, local gardens and, uh, <laughs> old folks homes and whatever, whatever was news out there. I, I did it. And that was, uh, I guess that was my start with the volunteering, but there was a, there was a lot of, a lot of different things that, uh, that I did. So even at the major networks, were they giving you a lot of responsibility? Cause that's one thing I hear too, is if you work for a Rogers or a Bell, sometimes it just ends up being the bare minimum. Whereas if you worked at a more local network, 
they could just give you anything really you could be a videographer in your second day yeah absolutely and um before like when i say rogers i mean the cable television so it wasn't a major network it was just for new market only but i was the reporter and they did have a a cameraman there armando i'll never forget armando was big in helping me uh with my on-air presence uh uh at first and uh and yeah they they just sent me out and uh let me do my thing and helped me um, and corrected me where I needed correcting. I was very raw. And yeah, and that's, I guess, just moving into that, that was one of the things. And then from there, you just keep on trying to get connections. Um, I worked I worked uh, as an intern for Headline Sports, which is now The Score. So um, there's more working for free there. And then um, through working at Rogers Cable Newmarket, somehow I got an opportunity to, like I said, I played hockey at the junior level. So I got an opportunity to do color for the St. Mike's Majors um, on Rogers Television, uh, Cable Television. So, uh, and I was doing that next to Dan Dunleavy, who was now the play-by-play guy for the Buffalo Sabres. So, uh, amazing. so I did, uh, that for, um, not, not a full season. They brought me on half a season in and I did that for a while. And that was a lot of fun just working through that journey. Uh, I got, I had the internship, like I said, at headline sports, and then I got another internship at the fan 590, the sports radio station. And that's where things really started to open up a little bit because, um, while I was working in cable Rogers cable, um, that was all what is considered small time. But once I started doing internship with the fan 590, that's when I got to go to the leaf practices. That's when I went to the blue Jays games. That's when I went to the Argos games as well as the Maple Leaf games, um, slowly, but surely they just give me a little bit more responsibility. And when a reporter was a little bit lazy, they'd be like, Hey, Jermaine, I got to go to the bathroom. You're going to do the next update. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. (laughs) And, uh, and uh, from there, got some part-time work with the fan and the score, headline sports then. And uh, I also worked part-time at Toronto Star Television. It has been crazy. I could go on forever, the different things that I that I did in the big city that eventually just gave me just enough experience to, um, to get on with TSN. Because when you're in a small city, like we'll say Prince Albert or, or somewhere in Saskatchewan or Manitoba in the middle of nowhere... You do do everything, and I think that's why uh, people that come from those situations, when they do get the opportunity, they're pretty much ready for it. They're pretty much ready for it. But when you're when you're uh, volunteering here and there, and and just getting your your uh, your feet wet at um, different opportunities, uh, and I say that different opportunities because you notice I never said full time. I was never full time anywhere, right? So it's just hits there, hits there, here and there. You never get into a full groove um, when, you're, when you're all over the place. So if, if you're out there and you get that opportunity with a small town, um, you might not want to go out into Timbuktu, but do it because you'll be doing something every day. You'll get into a groove. You'll know what you're doing uh, or you'll know yourself and then you'll realize your strengths and weaknesses. And I felt that it was more comfortable to make mistakes in that environment as well when you knew that the pressure was not on you anymore because, yeah, you're in a smaller market. You're not the epicenter like Toronto, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, did you feel that pressure even as an intern? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. Big time. I think, uh, but you learn, you learn everywhere. But, um, one thing I definitely learned, I'll tell you, uh, one experience I, they sent me down to cover the Rogers cup and it was the women's Rogers cup. And, uh, I was excited cause I got to do cut-ins live cut-ins about the different players. And of course I knew Serena Williams and Venus Williams and Kim Kleisters. Like I had them down. But it was the Rogers Cup, and there was a lot more players than that. And I learned, I learned real quick about preparation because all of a sudden, I'm supposed to be pronouncing um, Krasnoyutskaya on the radio, and the only reason why I'll never forget that name is because I didn't even know what I was like. What is that? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, live radio in a city of three million and I'm just messing up all these different names that names that you've never heard of because um, they've entered the tournament uh, but they could be stars sooner or later but I was like oh it's not just the the big stars that I need to know I need to know everybody and that was one of the first uh, first lessons of of preparation that I learned but the fan like they they were patient with me in that sense because I got to do it again and course i was much more prepared than the next day let alone the next couple hours but it was it was awesome when did you get your big break with tsn or how did that come about so like i mentioned yeah the big break with tsn this is uh it, it happened in 03 of course in august of 03 um but um i had all those different part-time jobs and the funny thing was so i'm working every day somewhere and then and my wife, we've been married two years, but, you know, we're struggling along, of course, not uh, making much. And uh, we both had a Friday off. I'll never forget. We had the Friday off, um, which, is, which was huge because there was no responsibility. I'm like, I am sleeping in. Nobody wake me. Like, this is it. And then all of a sudden, uh, that same Friday, uh, we got a call at like 7.30 in the morning. And uh, my wife answered the phone, and she uh, she was like, hello? And then all of a sudden, she sits up, and I feel her sit up in the bed. And I'm like, what is going on? She's like, yeah, yeah, he's right here. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, <laughs> that's what I look at. I'm like, I'm not here. She's like, she's like, yep, Jermaine, Jermaine is here. Just give him a second. And she's like, it's TSN. I was like, what? So I, I am like, here. I am here. I am here. I'm like, <clears throat> I'm clearing my throat. <clears> throat. Hello, hello, hello. And then it's like, <laughs> hello. And uh, from there, it was uh, that was Mark Millier that was calling. He's still with TSN, obviously, uh, in a big time role. But uh, he said uh, that he saw my most recent uh, uh, demo tape, which he gets or TSN gets hundreds and hundreds of demo sure. tapes. So. The fact that he saw mine was was a blessing right there, and he and um, later on, like I was in TSN within two hours um, for an interview, and then that night I did a a fake uh, report from a Blue Jays game for them, and within a week they hired me, and within a week and a half of that I was here in Calgary. Did they ask you any crazy questions at the interview? Um, nothing, no, nothing crazy. Like usually, from what I hear. A lot of people got to take a, a sports test as well. But he was, uh, he didn't even have time to, to give it to me. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure you're the guy. So we're going to go, 
we're going to go with it. But no crazy questions uh, like that. It was just uh, it was just shocking. The, the crazy thing was, as I was saying with the demo tape was, he said, you know what? Uh, do you know how I find you, found your tape? Because it was a VHS tape back then, right? And And you had to send it in physically through the mail and just hope that somebody gets it. And I had sent maybe two or three or four demo tapes in over the years. Um, but he's like, do you know how I found your tape? And I'm like, no, I, I don't know how I mailed it in. And he's like, yeah, but we get tapes every day. Yeah. Um, he's like, but, uh, um, he was cleaning up. So I guess these guys bring their tape, the tapes home. He was cleaning up his, his kids, uh, uh, toys in the basement. And he found my tape at the bottom of the toy box as he was putting toys back in. And we're talking uh, at like midnight or one in the morning. And he's like, I'm going to look at the tape. So he popped the tape in that in the middle of the night. And he saw that and he's like, all right, I'm calling this kid tomorrow. And uh, um, that's how I got on the TSN. That is insane. Crazy story. Yeah, yeah. True blessing for sure. And uh, like I said, I was... I was a TSN employee two weeks later and moved to Calgary three weeks later. So at this point, you've been married two years, TSN calls, giving you a job, but they say it's out in Calgary. What did that conversation look like with Andrea? Um, I'd like to say that it was a conversation, but it wasn't. Like, <laughs> I mean, it was like, actually, like this is, this is, I mean, this is crazy, but I'm, I'm going to tell you anyways. Um, the other part of it was, uh, like I said, I was working a, a bunch of t- part-time jobs. Um, and my wife, Andrea, she was the, she was the breadwinner uh, working in a group home uh, with autistic kids. So it wasn't uh, huge money, we'll say, but she was the breadwinner. And she told me um, a month earlier or two months earlier that she was she had had enough she was she was done with that job and uh, i said you know babe um (laughs) we got to pay rent somehow yeah and she's like nope i just handed in my notice we have four more weeks of a steady paycheck and we'll just find a way after that and i said i support you babe but I think we're in deep trouble here. We could be yeah. moving in with the parents. Wow. Yeah. And yeah. she's like, if that's what has to happen, that's what has to happen. I'm like, okay, I'm still working away. So three weeks, a week before her final week, TSN calls. The week, the day, Jeremy, the day that she walks away from her job is the day. I signed with TSN. The timing could not have been like, it wasn't a conversation no matter what job she had, because this was my dream. Obviously, if it was, if she had a dream job, then there'd be a conversation, but there was no conversation. It was, what do you think about Calgary? Can't wait. Let's go. See you later. And then she said, by the way, I'm like, okay, she, I have news for you. What? I'm pregnant. What? So not only <laughs> did we find a good, steady job in, in perfect timing, 
only God's timing, only God's timing. And my, you know, well, you know me. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, Only God's timing. And uh, she was pregnant with our first child, my daughter, Micah. And Micah was born here in Cowtown. So it's not your timing, but it's the perfect timing eventually. And uh, that's, that's the story of how I got on with TSN. Crazy. And how you landed in Calgary. And how I landed in Calgary and how Calgary has become our home. Since then, I've had a, uh, another child, Sammy. He was born 18 months after Micah. And, uh, and yeah, we're, we're, we're Calgary strong. Alberta ties forever, that's for sure. Coming to Calgary, was that transition easy for you? It's just uh, the two of you, no kids yet, right? So Yeah, um, the transition was easy for me because I was working right away. It was a little tougher for, for my wife because she was pregnant and then she started getting the morning sickness and, and, um, and it was a little harder for her to uh, meet people only because um, she, was, she was home and she wasn't working and it's just a different, sure. a different city and a different vibe. But in terms of, um, and she worked, actually she, she did really well in, in uh, finding a community and, and friends. Um, but for me, the transition was pretty much seamless only because I love and I loved what I was doing. So I was here, I was working, I was in a dressing room every day, started in September. So I was covering the stamps and then, uh, and then, uh, the flames training camp was starting and then I was, uh, doing the flames. I was busy. Um, so the transition for me was, was seamless and it was, it was great. Still is. And uh, took my wife a little bit longer, but uh, Calgary's definitely treated us well. Did they send you out on the road right away, though, as a newbie? Um, no, not right away. Um, but they actually they kind of did. It was funny. They said, "You know what? You're you're." They told me, "You're you're still green. Uh, Calgary's the perfect market to grow in. Uh, we're not going to put you on uh, live television right away." And then all of a sudden. Uh, the the next week they're like we changed our mind you're doing the the sidelines <laughs> and also you're going to be uh, going to the Grey Cup so I did do uh, the Grey Cup in Regina that year and it was absolutely freezing crazy cold <laughs> uh, the Eskimos won that cup over Montreal I believe and that was a crazy party for them um, but uh, but yeah so they they thought they were gonna um, take it easy on me, but they threw me right in the fire and it was, or maybe I should say right in the deep end, it was sink or swim. And, uh, I was ready to swim. So we came out swimming. And of course, um, if you follow the timeline, that was September of 03. Um, that spring, the flames went all the way to the Stanley cup final. So that was baptism by fire. And yes, my daughter was born during the Stanley cup playoffs. That was crazy. And, um, it was, it was a crazy first year, but it was awesome. That was the birth of the red mile too, wasn't it? That was the birth of the red mile. That's right. Yeah. So, uh, um, lots of famous and infamous things going on in the red mile. That's for sure. And, uh, um, did you actually get to go down there quite a, quite a bit? Or I did not actually, you, I didn't, yeah. I didn't go down there much, uh, at all. When I was, whenever the games were here, uh, in Calgary, I was I was home as soon as I could be to spend some time with my um, with my wife and my newborn daughter before having to take off on the road again. Um, it was funny because the Flames hadn't made the playoffs in I think it was seven years. Okay, 
um, maybe maybe a little bit longer. Yeah, it was a seven-year drought, and everybody was like, don't worry, Jermaine. Flames, they never make the playoffs. You'll be fine. And I'm like, yeah, they're doing pretty good. They're like, they never make the playoffs. And then the first round was against Vancouver, who was heavily favored. First round will be a good experience for you. Not going to happen. They crushed, well, they beat Vancouver in overtime in game seven. It's just pandemonium. And then it's, um, uh, who was it next? I think it was either Detroit or San Jose. It was Detroit. It was Detroit. It was Detroit. I was at one of those games. Yeah, because um, game five, I did not go back to Detroit. Okay. Because my daughter was born. So my daughter was supposed to be born and then she got she was born in game five and they thought that it would be over and then the flames beat detroit in six and it was like um nice to meet you micah and then we're out and then i'm gone to san jose san jose was crazy they beat san jose and then you're like they're gonna do this and then they the heartbreak of game seven possible overtime win by jelena in game six that never never was to be um marty st louis broke calgary's hearts of course since they drafted him yeah that's right um uh but uh but yeah it was a crazy first year that's for sure who was influential in helping you get your feet wet and help you get established here in calgary because it's it's a little more difficult because you're on it pretty much a tsn satellite really yeah exactly you're out here on your own yeah um i would have to say my First cameraman, uh, Ned Demich, for sure. He he was, and he was pretty new on the job as well. He had only had the job for about uh, six months um, as well. So it's really, it was really just us uh, figuring things out and, and through, yeah, through satellite, talking to TSN every day and seeing what they're looking for and, and competing against I guess it was Roger Millions and so forth. It was it was it was different. It was fun, um, but we just figured things out on our own with lots of uh, guidance uh, from from Toronto. Uh, you know who else? Ryan Rashog. Although he's yeah. he came on maybe just a couple months after me. Um, he's one of the guys that benefited from small town um, working in a small town, Sask- Saskatchewan, and and Saskatoon, I believe it was. And he, and he, uh, was a good guy to bounce things off and figure things out. Like, how do you, um, how do you approach going live? How do you organize your thoughts into a succinct 15 to 30 seconds? Totally, you know, yeah. what, what is the routine there? Like sometimes, um, sometimes I got it and other times I don't have it and I'm not sure exactly what I did to get it right that time. So that's why, um, there were some struggles as well, but, uh, but yeah, Ryan Rashog was a really good guy to talk to on the phone. Uh, once in a while, I also talked to Farhan Lalji a, a little bit, but I'd say it's a legend right there. Hey? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. But I'd say, uh, I'd say just going through it, um, with my camera guy, Ned Demich. And uh, and the odd conversation with Ryan Rashog and the motivation from uh, Mark Millier as well. That's how you figure things out and you get through it and make sure you not only keep your job, uh, maybe for the first year or two, then you start to, to thrive a little bit. Sorry, quick side note here. Does Farhan still have first dibs at covering the Super Bowl? Yes, yes, he, <laughs> he does. And 
Um, I don't know how I'm going to shoehorn my way in there, but uh, somehow I got to. But yeah, yeah, he has first dibs. And you know what? He almost lost those dibs for a couple of years. And I don't know why. I think it was uh, for CFL, like there was a conflict. Maybe it was just one year. And Dave Naylor got to go to the Super Bowl and Naylor had it. Um, but uh, but Farhan um, Farhan uh, reclaimed it, which is which is good for him. And that's that's the that's the um, inner, I guess, competition between uh, reporters and 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 what your what your gig is, or you don't. If you have a gig, you don't want to lose it. Sure. And, yeah. Uh, and sometimes it just happens. Um, and sometimes, uh, well, most times, if you can help it, you keep it. So you guys, as satellite reporters, you don't ever get together once a year just to trade stories? Do you ever do that? Uh, no, but we do see each other once in a while, uh, depending on 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 the assignment. So um, like we'd see each other um, covering the World Juniors. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. And then you, that's when you get together. Um, NHL All-Star Game, I got to cover that a couple years ago, and that's... And, you know, and uh, hung out with Rashad a couple of times. But I see Rashad more often because of Edmonton. He'll come down or I'll go up and help out, especially when um, one of our teams or both teams are in the playoffs. So when the Oilers were, made that run to the second round uh, a couple of years ago, we spent a lot of time together um, in the second round because we put all hands on deck with, with, our, with yeah. whatever Canadian team is is going and Farhan he's the CFL guy yeah uh, he's basically the football guy so I see Farhan he'll come into town and do some features with uh, with the stamps as well so uh, we definitely see each other but we don't um, get together on our own time um, to trade stories because our own time is so precious um, not gonna take it away from family, our family, family just first, to see yeah. each other again yeah. that's for sure yeah yeah um, so favorite games, favorite events you got to cover up to this point? Uh, yeah, I actually wrote a couple down. I've been blessed to go to a lot of different things. Um, so I guess, uh, if I don't have a gig, what I do most of the time is Grey Cups, NCAA tournament, NBA finals. Is there one you're more excited to go to? I'm always excited to go to the NCAA tournament just because it's a uh, different um, and it's college, right? It's the college atmosphere in the States. It's almost second to none. It's crazy, which is always neat. And it's a different experience. Um, the NBA finals are, are always great as well. And both of those are basketball. Although I would say if you were to ask me, my favorite sport is hockey. It definitely is. But, uh, for some reason, basketball is a great, a great, uh, sport to cover. So um, that would be my favorite. Like if I were to think of a couple of experiences, um, the one that comes up was Villanova versus North Carolina in the NCAA tournament oh. final. And that was crazy because there was two last second shots or two last minute shots, we'll say. Crazy three-pointers. Marcus Page made a three to tie it up, and he did basically like a bicycle kick in the middle of the air. And he sinks the three and it's pandemonium because it's for the Tar Heels, North Carolina. They're like, we're destined. We're destined to win this. They tie it up. And then at the buzzer, Chris Jenkins 
just does the two-step top of the key and just flushes it and Villanova wins. <laughs> and it's just, no, what just happened? This is amazing. And I'm like, oh, we got a report on this. Oh, my goodness. Like, it was, it was, um, it was so awesome. It was so awesome. When you're interviewing athletes at the peak of their excitement level and they're just in absolute euphoria, how do you ask good questions so that you're not just getting the typical... I can't believe what's going on here. I I can't put it into words. <laughs> or is that just too tough to Yeah, I think um I think when it's at that level, it doesn't it almost doesn't matter what you ask. People always get criticized when they when they ask how does it feel? I'm I don't criticize. I mean, if that's if that question is asked after game 76 in the regular season, of course that's it's not really warranted, but when all that matters is how they feel, when all that matters is what they just accomplished, even if you don't ask how do you feel, they're telling you how they feel, right? So you try not to ask it that way, but just, well, just thinking about the Stampeders, um, covered the Grey Cup in Edmonton. That was another great moment. Uh, the Stamps had lost two Grey Cups in a row. And yeah. the pressure is on. Are you the Buffalo Bills or are you the New England Patriots? And nobody likes to compare CFL to NFL, but let's face it. If they lost the third straight, they were going to be labeled Buffalo Bills of the CFL. Not this year. Forever. Forever. Have you forgotten about the Buffalo Bills losing four straight? Nobody ever will. Yeah, that's heavy. And that was on their shoulders. That was it. And there were guys there that were there for all three. And the pressure was on. So when they win and they finally get over the hump, a hump that everyone expected them to be over um, for the last three years, it's crazy. I remember seeing Junior Turner literally um, after he hugs his teammate, I'm like, let's go junior. And he's like, he basically walked five steps for me, collapsed to his knees and just cried. Hmm. He cried for about like he needed three minutes. Let's just say he needed three minutes to literally sob, get it out. And then it's like, okay, let's go. And you're like, just explain what happened there, junior. Yeah. Right. Just a grown man on his knees, right? Right. Yeah. And this is a guy who's won. This is a guy who's won the Grey Cup. People forget that too. Right? Yeah. So it's not like he hadn't been there before. But it was like he hadn't been there before because of the disappointment of losing two straight championships. Yeah. So I don't criticize the how you feel questions in those moments because basically that's all we want to see. That's all we know. Um, so then on the flip side, is it more difficult to interview someone from the losing team who, you know, they're just, oh yeah, way more their difficult. hearts crushed way yeah. more difficult. Like it's, I mean, having to interview Kamar Jordan after that fumble, that's right. Um, yes. in yeah. Ottawa yeah. where the basically turn the tide and the Argos end up winning the great cup. Um, that was tough. That's tough. Um, I mentioned the NCAA tournament. Like what's great about it is I get to follow the Canadian, the prominent Canadian players. So having an interview 
Jamal Murray after he loses with Kentucky and he's literally crying and sobbing. And it's hard to really understand because all I, no, I shouldn't say all I, but all people, and I am guilty of it, all people think about is this kid's about to be making tens of millions of dollars. This kid's only at school for literally eight months because he has to be before he plays in the show. This kid, this kid, that kid, oh, it's all about the dough. It's all about the dough, Ray, me. It's all about the... And then you see this kid losing a game wearing the blue and white that he's only been wearing for a few months, but it's like his life had been taken away from him. And then you're like, is this real, Jamal? Like, aren't you going to claim? Aren't you going to the draft in, in four months? He didn't give two you-know-whats. Yeah. He could care less. It was about the moment being with that team. And then you got to ask him, how does it feel to lose? Why did you only shoot, we'll say, you know, seven for 18? You know, like, yeah. I mean, uh, same thing with Andrew Wiggins, although he was, he's different. It, you wonder if he feels it at some time, at yep. some point. Like he's very. You can see it in his place. sometimes. Quiet. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so so uh, being on both sides of the spectrum, it's definitely much more difficult to interview the the guys that had their hearts torn out. And it's funny. I got a uh, Edmonton radio calls me once in a while, especially after the tournament, and they nicknamed me the consoler because. Uh, because when I interview those guys, I don't, I don't have my broadcast voice on. It's like, all right, Jamal, you guys just, you guys, you guys just lost in the semifinals. Um, where do you go from here? You know, it's like, you realize the the room you're in. It is dead silent. Um, it's there's no place to be um, projecting or. It's like, let's get in. Even, even Gilchrist Alexander, you thought things would be different, but they weren't. How do you move on from here? How would you assess a season? All that stuff. So then all of a sudden you're like, you are. You're like almost a consoler, but you don't take it so personally where you're crying with them because you weren't there with them. You, you're doing your job. You're just being respectful of, uh, of the situation, which is, which is some things that, which is something that not a, not everybody, not every reporter gets, and uh, that's when you have some guys um, lashing out at the at the media because they don't get it, or they do get it, but they don't care, and um, and they're just there to get a clip. And sometimes you need to get a little bit more than that. What are the strangest or most awkward questions you've heard in a scrum? Oh yeah, <laughs> um, that's a good one. Um, yeah, that's a that's a good one. I don't know. Like, uh, um, I've I've seen people call someone the wrong name before, <laughs> and that's awkward. Um, that's very awkward. Actually, I was guilty of one um, with Mika Kiprasov. I'll never forget it. Uh, I was I got into a scrum late, and I was, you know, getting my mic in there, and then of course it was like um, sometimes when you're in there, you're with a guy but you're looking around the room because you need to get at least two or three interviews so Mika Kiprasov was there and I got in and uh, somebody had asked asked him a question and he answered it and then I asked him 
and then I asked him my question, and I, I said, uh, I think it was, was that one of the funniest games you've ever seen or something like that? And he looked at me, and he goes, yeah, I just answered that. So basically, I repeated the question somebody just answered just asked so they said was that the funniest game you ever saw and he's like yeah da, da, da. you know you know mika barely talks anyways and then i'm like was that the funniest game you ever seen And he's like weren't you just here yeah i'm like oops nope uh but uh <laughs> well you're already thinking two steps ahead yeah, right exactly. who else am i gonna way, get way ahead but uh but yeah there's there's been some there's some been some awkward moments that uh that i've witnessed and been a part of from the athlete side, who's really, who can get short with the media? Um, hmm. Or who can be really sarcastic with them? Uh, that's a that's a good question. You know, actually, I'll just go with uh, the biggest star athlete, LeBron James. Yeah, he what's get, it like inv- interviewing him? Uh, it's it's different. It's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, LeBron. Uh, he he can have his mood sometimes, and and um, he'll put you on the spot once in a while. I know, because it's happened to me. <laughs> a there needs times. to be a story there. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, what was it? It was uh, a- another one of the highlights of my of my career in terms of games that that I've been at. Game six, uh, Miami Heat. They're about to lose um, to uh, the San Antonio Spurs at home. Half of the arena leaves. Uh, and then Ray Allen with a miraculous three from the corner. That was the corner shot. That's up. right. And it was unbelievable, unbelievable. Um, and then they come back and win in overtime, and then they win game seven. It was, but that that moment being there for that was ridiculous. But, okay, so we're in that same series, we'll say. Uh, LeBron James... Remember, with the Heat, they had lost to the Dallas Mavericks the year before. LeBron had an awful, an awful um, finals. He didn't know what to do. They didn't know what to do with him. It was weird. So one of the big storylines after a couple of games in these finals was the fact that Dwayne Wade went up to LeBron James and, and handed him the mantle, basically. He basically said, gave him the baton. He's like, you're the leader of this team now. Now, this is all hearsay, but uh, ESPN is is uh, reporting it. Rachel Nichols reported it. Uh, my producer in, in Toronto was like, we got to get LeBron on this. I'm like, sure, no problem. And uh, I talked to Rachel Nichols. I'm like, so LeBron, she's like, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm like, okay. The way it works is they stand at a podium or they sit at a podium and they right. you get them sure. for 10, 15 minutes. But it's not just me there. So I only have one or two questions that I'm allowed to ask. And, of course, as it's going on, I finally get chosen to ask. And I asked him, I asked LeBron, I said, so what was it like uh, when Dwayne Wade basically told you that you're, you're the leader, you're in charge? He looked at me, and he said, who told you that? And I said, um, well, it's, uh, there's several reports, and ESPN reported this morning that, um, that, you, uh, that you and Wade had a conversation. What was that conversation like, that, that you are uh, the leader of the team? 
And he said, never happened. And I was like, never happened? He's like, nope, never happened. Meanwhile, it was already reported. Rachel Nichols, she stood by, but but it was like dead silent. Dwayne Wade already talked about about doing it. Yeah. But LeBron, and of course it was it was me that asked the question and I'm like, never happened. So I'm like, well, if this never happened, how, what, what story right away in my brain's thinking, how do we turn that around into a story? Um, and that was like one of the last questions. There was one question after that. So I remember I bolted from the media area around to where the players come off the stage and down. And I'm like, they're like, questions are over with LeBron. And I'm like, LeBron, this has been said. This is behind the scenes in the camera. I'm like, LeBron, like, did it happen or did it not happen? Because, like, this is what's going on. Totally. And he's just like, no, didn't happen. Now, is he telling me the truth? No. Does he know who I am? No. no. Which is why he doesn't care. So, sure. <laughs> right? Like, yeah. if, a, if it was... If someone else, like um, Wilbon, asked the question, he probably would have gone into some diatribe. Um, if it was maybe even Rachel Nichols at the time, because this is years ago, he might have been, but because it was, I'm assuming, this is only my my assumption, because it was me, um, someone that he probably didn't recognize, uh, he just blew it off, which was not cool. But it turned into a different kind of story, and that was good. Fast forward to this year, LeBron James again. Asked LeBron James, he was taking criticism of, for for not talking to J.R. Smith in the timeout after he forgot, right? Yeah. Game one, J.R. Smith forgot the score, thought they were up. Instead of he gets the rebound over Kevin Durant and he dribbles the ball out to half court. What are you doing? LeBron loses it on him. Yeah. All the cameras catch him. Uh, a couple of days later, there was new footage that I'm sure people were just holding just so they had a story on an off day. So I talked, I asked LeBron again in the same situation. And I said, LeBron, like you're getting criticism. You're getting criticized for not um, talking to your teammate. And he cut my question off right away. And he's like, and he's like, um, he went back to another guy and then he came back to me. And then he, then he used his sarcasm slash acting chops and he's like me criticize criticize me look it up espn was all over it they loved the fact that he was doing that and again it was with me i'm like why is lebron always got these histrionics with me anyways but that clip and he did answer the question very well and then he gave through that question that i gave him he gave us a little window into his competitive juices and the criticism that he takes and the, he ended it with, we're in the NBA Finals. How much more picking up of my teammates do you need me to do? Basically, LeBron's like, I dragged these bums here. What else do you want me to do? That's what he said to me, looking me right in the eye. Basically, that's me paraphrasing what LeBron said. ESPN loved it. TSN loved it. Blah, blah, blah. NBA TV loved it. But um, You did all the hard work. Yeah, well... <laughs> Back to your original question, can guys get testy? Do guys, like, sure. who, who who are the moody guys that you deal with? Um, LeBron is the biggest. He's up there, yeah. He's up there. I, and, of course, I've dealt with moody guys um, all over the place. But he's the one I remember because he's 
the best basketball player in the world. Yeah. And it's just a circus <laughs> that follows him everywhere. Yeah, right? absolutely. I mean, ever since he was a junior in, in junior high or, or a junior, we'll say a, a freshman in high school, they've had cameras following that kid at St. Mary's all the way up. And now he's a grown man and cameras still follow him everywhere. So, What do you think your relationship with LeBron is right now? <laughs> there is no relationship with LeBron. Yeah, I don't know if you'd even remember me if he was in the NBA Finals this year. Actually, I do. He's a brilliant dude, so he knows. He recognizes me. But, uh, yeah, there is no relationship with, Le- with LeBron. But um, he is the best player in the world. And uh, I do know or I do believe that he would answer my questions. Um, unlike but, yeah, that that's one what time. I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, but yeah, um, those are those are some some cool moments, some interesting moments, some uncomfortable moments in front of the world, uh, literally, because it's the NBA that that um, I'll probably never forget. I want to quickly circle back to the CFL right now. Um, you just came off the Grey Cup, two thousand eighteen, Calgary. You were talking about, yeah, they were winning. What's your take on Bo Levi now trying out in the NFL? I think it's great uh, that uh, Bo Levi is is uh, getting um, some opportunity in the NFL. I think um, I understand it. If I was ever in his shoes, let's just put it um, in the NHL perspective, I couldn't imagine. You know what? A guy that plays for the Flames is probably in the same was in the same situation. A guy like Derek Ryan, right? He took him forever to make it to the show, but where was he before he played in the show? He played in the WHL, then he played for the University of Alberta, and then he goes overseas and he does well um, uh, playing in Europe. And he then, didn't just play at the University of Alberta for like a year. He played there for four yeah, years. Yeah, four too. years. Yeah, like four <laughs> years of the dub, four years of the University of Alberta. He's a Canadian kid. We all know he dreams of playing in the NHL. Yeah. But the first the first half of the dream or first part of the dream is to play professional hockey. He gets the opportunity to do that in Europe. And then all of a sudden he has an opportunity to play in the NHL. Are you not going to take it? Is he going to say, no, no, I'm going to stay out here in Europe and, and, and play with, with wherever he was just because that's where he got his first opportunity to, to play pro hockey. No. And that's the exact same dream for most Americans. And now many Canadians that are in football is to play for the greatest uh, league in the world, which happens to be the NH, the NFL right now. So Bo Levi um, having to prove his worth in an outstanding league, which is the CFL, where quarterbacks um, basically run the show. Um, now that he gets uh, some opportunity to work out with teams in the NFL, I think it's great because if he has a real opportunity, an honest opportunity, there's no doubt in my mind that he can play in the NFL. What's the real opportunity, though? Backup quarterback for the Jags? Yeah, I think that that is the real opportunity, backup. Um, whether it's for the Jags or the Minnesota Vikings um, or even the Denver Broncos, I think the real opportunity is is backup only because of the uh, very real politics that happens in pro sports, um, especially the NFL. If you have, let's just put it this way, at the Jags, because the Jags aren't doing so well, and and they have their a very high first round pick, and they happen to take a quarterback. Um, 
the pressure is on for them to prove that they made the right pick. Uh, we saw it already with the with the New York Jets this year, throwing their rookie quarterback out to the Wolves. Um, There's a bunch of them, Baker Mayfield too. Yeah, well, yeah. Mayfield Mayfield turned out to be the right decision. Like, Absolutely. Um, but in many cases, it's not the right decision. Um, and when you have a guy that's won a couple of Grey Cups, been to a few championship games, has been through it, uh, like Bo Levi Mitchell, um, why not give him a chance? It just doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way to, to start. But if he's in the right situation and he gets a chance to work into uh, some playing time, I think uh, he can show down south what he's really made of. And it's really difficult to stay away from what we've seen in the past and use that as a barometer of sorts to get a good reading on what the potential of these guys could be down in the NFL. You look at Jeff Garcia, you look at Doug Flutie, yeah. and you're like, well, yeah, maybe they got their their start later on in the NFL, but they started out as backups, right? Yeah, absolutely, and, and they made the most of their opportunity. And even go way back, you look at Warren Moon, and what he did in the NFL after winning a bunch of great cups with the Eskimos. It's, it's, uh, it's crazy. I think there's enough. I think there's an, enough of a sample size where um, I believe more NFL teams should, um, should realize that um, some of these quarterbacks are the real deal, uh, especially after some seasoning and, and uh, a few years in the CFL. And and there there could be more success stories like that, but but it just doesn't it just doesn't happen that way. It has to be the right situation, and I think uh, Garcia and Flutie um, are perfect examples of that. And even then, Flutie in the most important game of the year for Buffalo got uh, that's uh, just thinking about that makes me mad. But he got um, basically benched uh, for another quarterback who they thought had a bigger arm. But that doesn't mean that he was a, a better quarterback. And, of course, Buffalo got their just desserts with the miracle. And <laughs> there you go. It's yeah. Buffalo, right? Yeah, but uh, that'll happen. But in that sense, um, yeah, I think, uh, I, think, I think CFL quarterbacks in particular don't necessarily get the opportunities that they should uh, down south. But, uh, but that's life. I just thought of one of my favorite moments. It kind of maybe goes into that awkward interview category but when you were interviewing solomon elamimian oh right yeah. do you remember that one <laughs> yeah yeah what's up who yeah. was who was coming across the field um uh bennett yeah fred bennett yeah fred bennett he was the one that was coming across and, and so bennett uh, instigated he and was just bennett, chirping something. oh yeah, yeah he definitely instigated he definitely instigated and and he said something in uh, Solly's ear, and uh, um, yeah, if you look at the if you look at the tape, he's, Solly's like, "Who are you? Who are you? You know, who are you?" And Ben is just ah, and I'm and you're third wheeling it, really. I'm third yeah. wheeling it. I'm just moving my mic back and forth, just waiting and waiting, and uh, and then uh, finally, he just uh, gives me the cue. He's like, "What's up?" And I'm like, "Oh, all right, let's go." Um, so yeah, that was that was definitely. A fun, <laughs> a fun and awkward moment. But when the players are in the heat of the moment, in the action, it's great. You're going to get things like that for sure. Yeah, it's, it was a, a pleasant sort of awkwardness though, right? It was kind of funny that way. Yeah, it was a lot of fun in terms of gamesmanship and, 
and uh, seeing the intensity of the players even even after the whistle is blown and they're heading in for halftime. It's not it's not an act. It's not a show. Like these guys want to win, and uh, um, they'll do whatever it takes to do it. So um, that was that was that was fun. Who are some of the funnest athletes you've had the pleasure of interacting with? Um, the best, I guess the, um, like you're excited to go interview them because you know, they're going to give you a great clip or they're just respectful or they, yeah, uh, they're happy to see you. I got to go with my most recent memories. Uh, Steph Curry. Oh yeah. Steph Curry. Um, is NBA just, finals. yeah, he's just awesome. And do I ever have like one-on-one time with him? No, but but um, his his interviews, he always takes the time, and uh, and it's and it's great to talk to him. Um, I also got to talk to him um, at an NBA All Star weekend as well, and he was uh, awesome. And that was almost like a one on one actually. And he took the time, and it, because he had grown up in Toronto for a little bit, he reminisced, and uh, he always takes the time and answers questions carefully and and um carefully and and with some substance um and i think that whole golden state team is is awesome like that like uh in a totally different way draymond green is is the same way um in a totally different way if that makes any sense he's much more intense um but he takes the time and he thinks about his answers before before he does it like yeah, there's so many different guys that I've interviewed. And when I think about the big names, they all have something in common in terms of being respectful. Um, but when it comes to substance, uh, Steph Curry is great. Um, Sidney Crosby is, is good. The thing about Sidney that I find, and I don't interview him all the time, but when I have interviewed him in playoffs and, and when he comes to Calgary once a year and so forth, is he looks you in the eye. He looks you in the eye when you ask him a question, and he's always wearing that sweat-stained hat. But it's funny when you see, when you look at him, and you're in a good position, and you ask him a question. He'll look down, and then he'll look up, and he'll look you right in the eye when he's answering the question. And of course, he'll look away as as he's gathering his thoughts while he's answering. But then he'll come right back to you. And look you in the eye, and you're just like, yeah, all right, Sid, you've heard what I've said, and I really appreciate you um, taking the time to answer that question. Now, sometimes it's pretty bland what he says, but I, I think there's something to be said for a guy who recognizes who's an- asking the questions. I think that's that's a special quality. Jerome McGinley was good at that, very good at that. Um, but I can't say that he always gives you gold, but he, he recognizes you He'll he'll drop your name in between periods. Like you'd be like, "Thank you very much, Jermaine." You're like, "Ah, Jerome knows who I am. That's awesome." You know, yeah. little things like that. Um, so yeah, Steph Curry uh, is a recent one. Sid Sid uh, Jerome again, and you know, um, I LeBron James when he's in a in a good mood, he's he's very good at answering questions. He's a pro in that sense. Yeah, there's a few guys. Well, like you said, sure. he's been answering questions since he was a uh, junior in, in high school, right? Yeah, exactly. Professionally. Exactly. How about yeah. on the current Flames? Uh, current Flames or, or Geo. Geo's always good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mark Giordano, I should say, the captain. He's uh, 
He's uh, always a, a good guy to talk to. You know who's um, outstanding is Travis Hamannick. Yeah, he is just a good, good man, a good, good human being. And he takes the time uh, to answer questions, and he is human. Like one time he was, he was a little snippy with me, but um, it was after a tough loss, and uh, Mike Smith had had a tough game, and I asked him about Mike Smith, and he was mad about a question someone else had asked him before. But the very next day, he's like, hey, um, I'm sorry for snapping at you there. Oh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, please, Trav, you know, yeah. no, no biggie. It's part of the... But for him to like, you to know, do that. to yeah. do that yeah. and come up to me like in the, in the room and, you know, kind of just pull me aside and say, you know, uh, in retrospect, I know I was a little bit snappy there. And you're like, yeah, this, this guy... It's a grown man move right it. there. It is, it is. And that is exactly... Um, what and who Travis Hamannick is. He is a, he is a grown man. Oh, and I had a note, uh, another awkward moment, and this is going a little bit back, but it was with Sean Avery. Oh. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, he was near and dear to our hearts. Yeah, Sean Avery. He was in, he was in town when Dion Phaneuf was still a flame. And, and who was he playing for at the time? Um, Sean Avery. He was playing for Dallas. Dallas okay. I'll never forget that because we just asked Dave Tippett about Sean Avery and um, what it's like to have him. And he's, and Tippett said, Sean Avery has been, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but he has been a model citizen, has been a great teammate. He's, you know, he's really, you know, held his, his uh, ego and check and whatever, blah, 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 how good of a teammate he's been. And then after we talk to Tippett, we walk in the room and Sean Avery goes, and um, Sean Avery goes, where's TSN? Where's TSN? And I'm like, right here, Sean. And I'm like making sure Ned's rolling. And he's like, oh yeah, I'm rolling. And this is in a matter of like two seconds because he just walked out of the back. And uh, he's like, I just, I didn't even ask a question. He just like, I just want to know why everybody seems to like my sloppy seconds. And that is, ref that was referring to Dion Phaneuf's girlfriend at the time. Um, I forget her name. Cuthbert. Alicia, Alicia Cuthbert. Alicia yeah. Cuthbert. Yeah. Cuthbert, who dated Sean Avery briefly in the past. And then it was oh, on. Yeah. So it was awkward, but this was even before Twitter. So, I'm calling the desk. I'm like, you won't believe what Sean Avery said. And they're like, we're booking a line right now. Because now we could send things. So we can send things immediately. But even then, we had to book a line. It took half an hour to do it. We're, oh, we're just going crazy, Sean Avery. And then, of course, the, the commissioner steps in and is like, Sean Avery will not be playing tonight because we might get, <laughs> you know, whatever killed means in NHL um vernacular Fano's going to bury him right yeah, yeah exactly so that, that was awkward and crazy um so it was kind of neat to be a part of that like we got plenty of stories Jeremy it's crazy the things that <laughs> i've seen and and been a part of so with you being on the road so much what are some challenges that come with being away from home so much and maybe what have you learned over the years and how to be more efficient and how to find more of that balance maybe. Yeah. Like, um, 
being on the road is definitely a challenge when you think about uh, what my wife uh, had has to deal with because we mentioned earlier that uh, we moved to Calgary from Toronto, so there is no in-laws, right? There yeah, is, that's right. There is no in-laws on either side to help out with the kids. Um, we do have friends, but you can't ask, you know, all the time. And uh, there was a time where I did do a ton of traveling. Now I travel a fair amount, but when the Flames were uh, perennially in the playoffs, um, and that happened for about a, a four or five year stretch, that was really tough. And when you include the Grey Cups and the NBA Finals and the NCAA tournament and so forth, all of a sudden you're seeing how much I'm away and how stressful it is on my wife with two young kids. So um, I think that that's uh, that is the struggle uh, with traveling. And um, although it's not me that um, feels the feels that struggle, um, you do when you talk to your wife every night. Um, when your kids are asking you when you're going to be home, um, and when you do come home, and then and then my wife is like, "You're home, good. Here you go." And I'm just gonna <laughs> chill out for a couple of days. Don't come knocking, you know. So, and then you're like, "Oh man, yeah, she's gonna she's had to go through a lot because now I'm doing all these things that had to be done while I was gone." Um, but it's like, this is a pretty big to-do list. Huh? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, whoa, uh, you know, um, I'm, I'm tired too. Yeah. Uh, no, yeah. you're not. Yeah. No, I'm not. No, All right, not. let's yeah. go. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, that's the main, um, challenge, uh, with the travel because, sure. um, it is fun. Traveling is, is fun, but it's also long and it gets tedious and it's, and, uh, and being home is is better no matter what it looks like um it always seems glamorous um sleeping in your own bed there's nothing like it and you don't really realize it until you're on the road for a little while before you carry on here i was talking to tori peterson shout out tori uh who does digital marketing with the flames but she was saying that the shortest road trips are the ones that are taken first those are the first ones off the table and she said, even from the single guys, the ones who have no family to go back to. Oh, yeah. They're like, yeah, I want that shortest trip first. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, because that's, yeah, you're, you're in and out. And, um, and you're, home, you're home quick. I mean, it's the, the, long road, the long road trips when you're gone for a week, two weeks, three weeks. Um, that's tough. Yeah. That is tough. And... Um, I can just hear somebody right now saying, oh, boo-hoo, you get to eat out every night. Boo-hoo, you get to go to a hotel. And it's like, uh, yes, boo-hoo, eating out every night is not the best. It is yeah. <laughs> like sometimes, actually most times, you, you, need, a, you need a meal. And that's, that's funny because uh, that just brought up, that was the biggest bone of contention um, for a while. Like when I come home, I'd be like, my wife is like, where we're we going? And I'm like, we're not going anywhere. Like, what's for dinner? She's like, you're cooking it. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, I, I'll, the last thing I need is to sit in a restaurant. She's like, the last thing I need is to cook. And I'm like, oh, I guess that makes sense. So takeout? <laughs> is that a good... Um, takeout is a good compromise? Takeout take out for the family, and sometimes I'll cook for myself. Yeah. Seriously, like, I do not need to have another sodium-filled meal after 
18 straight days of, don't get me wrong, lovely, lovely meals, but it's not the same. It is just not the same. So that's, that, that's funny. That's one of the conversations we always used to have, but now we're, we're in a good groove. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. What have you learned along the way though? S- smoothing out those, uh, yeah. those challenges. Um, I guess, uh, I think it's, um, what I've learned along the way is that I have an amazing wife and I have uh, awesome kids basically, because when it comes right down to it, you're either, you're either up for the life or you're not hmm. right. Yeah. Um, uh, there's only so much that I can do without quitting. Right. Yeah. So, um, if it's part of the job that I'm going to be traveling, um, we'll say 12 weeks out of the year. And sometimes it's three weeks in a row. Um, if Andrea was not down with it, there's nothing that I could do except quit. There is nothing that I could do. If she's like, you know what, you being away, not happening. Then what? It's either it's happening and it's, and though if marriage isn't happening or, um, or I change, change mm-hmm. jobs. Yep. And the, I think that's the bottom line. And this industry is very difficult on marriages. Uh, been here in Calgary for 15 years and I've, I've seen um, colleagues and friends go through very difficult things um, when it comes to relationship and marriage. Mm-hmm. So for me to um, look at you and say, you know, I just, you know, lay down the law or I call every night and, and that's all that's needed. No, I have nothing to do with it. Mm-hmm. It's my wife. My wife is like, I can handle it. This is, this is good and I'm down with it. If she wasn't, things would have to change. But she is. And so are my kids. So I'm blessed. Did you have those conversations before you started at TSN? Or was it something you guys figured out along the way and just saying, hey, because I guess it does look different, right? Your travel schedule every year. Yeah. Yeah. It looks different every year. And no, like that, uh, um, we never had that conversation. We, we really had no idea what this job uh, entailed or what it really meant. Uh, and we learned along the way. Um, we adjusted along the way. And, and that's what I mean when I say Andrea really had to figure out if this was the right lifestyle for her because um, I figured it out. I'm like, this is great. This is, but if it wasn't great for her, then, then I'd be making adjustments. I'd be right. making changes. But, uh, but it was good for her, and I think it's turned into great with the kids being older and, and more independent, and, and their independence means she has more independence. And, uh, and yeah, so I think, uh, I think the challenge is always um, what it means for the family, and, and it's not for everybody. Um, spouse being on the road a lot is not, is not for everybody, and... And and vice versa, I hear spouse being around all the time isn't great either. So <laughs> I think we've we've hit a good balance, and and it's been good that way. So from the industry landscape as a whole, what have you seen evolve over the years, starting from '03 to now? Yeah, yeah. Um, social media has certainly uh, taken over. Um, it's become a pretty important part of the job. I'm still, still working on it. I, I look at certain people on Twitter 
And if you look at the amount of tweets that they have, we're talking tens of thousands of tweets. I've been on Twitter from the beginning or close to the beginning. Um, and that was because work said we need to be on Twitter. And I still haven't hit 10,000 tweets. And I'm, I'm, I'm getting there. I'm mm-hmm. almost there. Mm-hmm. But when you look at the amount, um, so social media, I'm still, I'm still adjusting to, or I don't even know if I'm adjusting. This is just the way I am right now, and we'll see if it ever gets, um, ever changes. But that is a big part of the job now. Uh, Twitter and Instagram, Snapchat, not as much anymore, but Snapchat is still still around. But primarily Twitter and Instagram, right? Yeah, I would say. At this oh point. yeah, big time. Primarily Twitter and Instagram. So that's an aspect of the job that is that is different. And if we can stay there for a second, though, how cool. has social media, especially those two platforms, really benefited? Uh, I guess the the audience. Um, I think it's an opportunity to. Um, give a short perspective, a short perspective from a different uh, location, we'll say. Um, when you think about 15 years ago, uh, the only time people could see me or would see me is the 90 seconds to two minutes they'd see on Sports Center. Um, and that's it. But now with Instagram and Twitter, um, they know that I'm at the morning skates. They don't have to wait till uh, Calgary time or mountain time is four o'clock or, or three o'clock in the afternoon to hopefully catch me in an hour show. Um, at some point now they can get the information from me, um, almost in real time. Does that make your job a lot easier then, or is it more difficult because there's more pressure to have more channels to yeah it's a it's a little bit it's a little bit it's a little bit of both i just think it's the only reason why it would be more difficult is because you gotta you gotta be on top of things and which is good so it keeps you on your toes um we don't race as much like there's uh there's still you know oh we got to get things on twitter first no not really let's make sure you get things right um that's one thing i appreciate with tsn being first isn't isn't necessarily uh, that important. Being right is the most important. And if you can get it out the first, that's good as well. So that's what we try and do um, with TSN. Um, in terms of Instagram, I'm it's more of a personal account. And I'll throw some things out there with the Flames and, and the Stampeders. But, uh, but it's more of a personal account where I let people in a little bit on what I, what I do in my spare time. You'll see my that I run you're a running bit. yeah I'm running that's how you knew I was running and and I'm still a little bit of a private person like you don't you won't see many pictures of my kids or sure or my wife or anything like that but you will see them once in a while because I'll throw them on there but yeah I try and I try and keep some things uh to myself how about from a technology standpoint outside of social media how has reporting changed over the years how have stand-ups changed um, preparing for games, all of that. Yeah, from a technology thing, um, we just uh, we have something called a Digero, and it's like a it's a box, it's a digital box that can send our footage, broadcast quality, over the airwaves. Like basically using a cell a cell tower or a or an Ethernet cable, and it can be sent from anywhere. 
at any time. At the beginning of the at the beginning of my career, like I, I guess I mentioned it with with the Sean Avery story. Like we used to have to drive up to the CTV Signal Hill station every every day to feed things. We'd have to book lines. We'd have to wait to to do it. So if after morning skates, we'd have to drive up and TSN or Toronto or anywhere wouldn't get things for for we'll say out an hour hours before they could see see stuff now they literally get things within minutes sometimes seconds if we're sending things live down the line with this new Dejero it's it's incredible how things have changed when i first started working with TSN we had a well blackberries were the new thing actually, <laughs> that's like, right like I, I actually, my very first work phone was a Nokia. Um, and we used to send, te- remember this, we used to send texts like A, B, C, beep, 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 Yeah, beep, or the like T9, G, right? And then you, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you, you wouldn't bother sending texts. And then like um, a couple of years in, we all got Blackberries. And then all, and then email was, became huge. And then all of a sudden, our communication with Toronto wasn't just by phone; it was by email. Why haven't you seen my email? I don't know. Like, I, am I? You got to check your email. Like, okay, so now I got to sleep with my phone next to my desk. Got it? Or next to my bed? Like, like things have changed so quickly over the years, and they just get more and more advanced. That yeah, you're you're on, you're on all the time. And if you choose to shut it off, it's at your own peril or it's at your own risk. And trust me, I still take the risk. <laughs> I shut it off sometimes and I, I don't and I don't apologize for it because I'm not I'm just not that guy that that's uh, always on. Like I'll put my phone down and I will not care about it for for a couple of hours. And to other people, that is an absolute eternity. And they're like, didn't you get my email? I'm like, oh, I probably did. What? You probably did and you didn't see it? Well, I'll, get, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it. And yeah. if you really needed me, you should have called me. Well, that's yeah. true. And you know, <laughs> so it's little things like it's that that I'm, like still, that, eh? I'm still a little old school. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the adjustments are still being made with, uh, with Twitter and Instagram and, and the emails. It's not an adjustment. It's just crazy how many you get in a day, like hundreds. It's, it's nuts. And I love that the first story you told us was about the VHS tapes, and that's where you started, right? That's where I started. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. And just to say, like, that VHS tape, I remember, um, did I say one of the part-time jobs I had was Toronto Star Television. It was on the ninth floor of One Young Street. And, of course, the Toronto Star is a newspaper. And um, they tried to do a shop TV. What was special about that job was they had lots of equipment and they let us sign it out. And because I had passes to the Leafs and Raptors and Blue Jays, it was mainly the Leafs, though. I, I would use my pass to go to Leaf practices and I would sign out equipment with a buddy and I would practice my interviews and my stand-ups after Leaf practices and that's the footage I used, along with, of course, my play-by-play or my color commentary with with Rogers on St. Mike's as my demo tape. So if I didn't have five different part-time jobs, I wouldn't be able to piece together different things to get things going. So 
Just be resourceful, people. If you want to be in this industry and it's getting tougher and tougher, just be resourceful. Like you are right now with the podcast, Absolutely. Jeremy. Like it's <laughs> it, it's 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 uh, it's an ever ever changing industry, and uh, it is tough to keep up. But uh, if you can, um, you definitely belong. So, final question for you here, Jermaine: If you had to create some thirty for thirty documentaries on some of the more undertold stories here in the city of Calgary. What would be some of the top stories that you would want to bring to the surface? Um, yeah, that's a that's a pretty good question, actually. Like, um, I don't know if it's I don't know if these are undertold stories, but for sure, I'd love to know the underbelly of of a lot of these stories. Like, um, everybody knows that that Mark Giordano. Well, most people or a lot of people know that Mark Giordano um, was never drafted. But if we could find out, like really dig deep into how, like the making of Mark, Mark Giordano. He wasn't drafted in the, NF, in the NHL. He wasn't drafted into the OHL. He was a walk-on. And now at 35, he's playing the best hockey of his career. And even at one point in the NHL, he decided to leave to play in Russia because the Flames refused to give him a one-way contract. Hmm. Like, some of the decisions that he has made have been so um, brave because he certainly wasn't a star player at the time, but he believed in himself. So the belief that he had in himself... Um, or has has in himself, and I I would love to know where that comes from. I'd love to know who you know his parents are and and how how this confidence was built or instilled in a guy that was never seen as the best. Absolutely, like um, that would be a cool thirty. 30 for 30 and that, that's what I think 30 for 30s are right like that's about big moments and and rivalries um from another thing like maybe the secrets of of Mika Kiprasov the the dude <laughs> literally disappeared after he retired yeah I right guess so hey I mean I mean just be, seeing what he was like even in Kentucky when he when he was in the when he was playing in the AHL with in the Sharks minor league system and then just spending like a week or two weeks with Mika in the wilderness of Finland like what makes you tick dude and what were you really thinking or what were you really like when you were basically carrying the flames to the postseason every time <laughs> so I think that would be kind of cool. I can't even imagine Mika in Kentucky. I know, right? Me That's neither. It's just a weird visual in my head. It's it's incredible. And 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 the way that um Sutter brought brought Mika into uh the Flames organization. Like he was literally third not even third, but it definitely third in the depth of of San Jose. But he ended up being better than 
than Vesatoskala and, and Nabokov. Like, it wasn't even close. And you're just like, wow, how do you really judge a goaltender? And the Sharks got it right, and somehow Daryl Sutter got it. The Sharks got it wrong, and Daryl Sutter got it right. That's right. Specifically to Calgary uh, as well, 30 for 30, and this is still going on. So hopefully like they have hidden cameras and stuff. And this is assuming it happens. But what's really going on when that new arena gets built? What are the real conversations between Nenshi and, and the Flames um, Entertainment Group? Right? Calgary Sports Entertainment Group. What was it really like? Or what is it really like when Ken King and, and Nenshi are, or the big, the big brass are in the same room? Are they ever in the same room? I'm still waiting for a TMZ video to come out. Right, right. Like we all know. Like we saw, we saw Nenshi uh, spill the goods too a little bit too much in some cab somewhere before. If you remember, I wonder what he said about this arena, and why? Why are the stamp? Why are the stamps like the, the, the redheaded stepchild as well? Why, like. <laughs> McMahon Stadium is is like sixty years. Like let's. It's embarrassing. It is. So I would love that would be a thirty for thirty strictly for Calgarians, <laughs> but I think Calgarians would love it. Um, how it really happened, and uh, another one that I think of is the secrets of John Huffnagel. And uh, what do you mean by that? I mean, how has he continued to find talent and bring it up to the Stampeders for over a decade of flawless regular season football? Over and over, the team has to change over. And over and over, Huffnagel and his, and we'll say his network find these guys to fit into this program. He's like the Belichick of the North. He's like the Belichick of the North. He's like, and if uh, he's like Alabama, yeah, right? Like Nick Saban, like, but you're like, where does Jamar wall come from? Where did you find Fred? Yeah. Where did you, and how do you know they're going to fit? And and how do you find the right mentality? And, and the reason there's gotta be, there's gotta be a criteria, right? There's gotta be a set. And you know, Huff, I mean, he did play in the CFL, but you know he has has NFL ties that he rarely talks about. Um, You know that he's worked with some of the greatest quarterbacks of this generation um, that he never talks about. It's the secrets of John Huffnagel that are really, really cool. And it's not just players. It's it's coaches, too. He sees something in his leadership group, and he keeps them. And he makes sure he keeps them. And if he lets one go, um, not only do they find success wherever they go, he already has a backup plan and a replacement for them. He had a replacement for himself in Dave Dickinson. Dickinson could have been a coach in BC, but Huff, the whisperer, made sure he stuck around. And then they make it to three straight great cups. He's a powerful, powerful man. eh? So how does he do it? How How does he do it? That's a 30 for 30. But he'd have to reveal his secrets, so that may never happen. Hey, but we can speculate. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Uh, yeah. Anything you need to plug or promote? 
Twitter at TSNJ Franklin. Always check me out on Twitter. Check me out on Instagram, Jermaine underscore Franklin. And I would love it if you guys would check me out um, on TSN.ca. Have a it's almost a weekly thing with uh, Aaron Vickers. It's called Flames Three in Three. So we come up with three topics about the Flames, and then uh, we we talk in around three minutes. So that would be great. Check us out on TSN Flames Three and Three. The and uh, the more hits and the more interest in the Flames, the better for us. And uh, and yeah, that would be the the few things I promote. See, social media. I'm getting the hang of it. Getting the hang of it, Jeremy. Thanks for stopping by Story Island, Jermaine. It was a pleasure hearing some incredible stories. And yeah, definitely want to do this again. Yeah, anytime. It was fun. Thank you for listening to this episode of Reading the Plate. For more content, don't forget to hit that subscribe button. And you can also download other episodes at sportcalgary.ca. Be sure to check out the Facebook page, Reading the Play, and to stay up to date on the latest RTP news, including new episodes, follow on Instagram at Reading the Play and myself, Jeremy Lee at Legacy. I really hope there's a piece of Jermaine's story that impacts, inspires, and ignites you to help you win your day. And as always, I'll catch you in the next episode.